Hornady presents American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge. I'm Red Bull Mike Race, Alex and Wayne. Uh, join us from a, a secret remote location somewhere in the Congo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Red Bull, you're the best, man. Hey, what's going on, guys? These Missouri turkeys are putting a hurting on me. They're wearing me out. About to cause me to have a nervous breakdown. Well, how's it been going? I mean, here we are, you know, a week and a half or a little better than that into the season. How's it going for you? Well, I have called in a total of five gobblers. Oh, wow. None of them have died yet. None. Now, why is that? The turkeys, I've been hunting are old turkeys and pressure, very pressured turkeys, and I've been taking a lot of people. Uh, the first morning I took somebody, uh, they, a tree limb fell on top of the blind, which was a tin roof, and scared the first turkey off. And he was at 60 <laughs> yards getting ready to come into a food plot. Then we got another turkey going, and the turkey's coming in. He's 50 yards getting ready to step in the food plot, and he heard some noise he didn't like, and he turned and left. But every one of them has hens with them. You've got to call to the hens to get them to you. Uh, today makes day number 10. Of 10 days of hunting, I've only worked turkeys four days. Wow, that is tough. Very tough. When they, you've got too many hens, the gobblers won't gobble, but on the roosting, a little bit on the ground. And if you're not doing the right things, they're going to shut up. And and I'm not struck many turkeys uh, after 8 o'clock. And okay. if you do strike one, he may gobble one time. You go to move in on him, he don't say another word. That's the kind of birds I've been hunting. Very pressured, pressured birds. Okay, so Wayne, have you had a chance to get out and do any hunting yet? Uh, well, actually, I, I, uh, I had a turkey the other day, and uh, I was, so I was real shocked uh, that, uh, that, A, it, it happened so easily, but uh, the unfortunate part is the wife made me put it back in the freezer section in exchange for a ham. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's, what's the old story? The guy said, uh, I was at the grocery store looking to buy a turkey, and he says, uh, excuse me, uh, son, does the, do these turkeys get any bigger? And the uh, Clark looks at him and says, no, sir, they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, a that's a good one. That's good. No, I have not gotten out uh, this year yet. I'm hoping to get out uh, when I get back from Ohio this weekend. Um, I'll be back, and I'm thinking about maybe going out Monday or Tuesday and grabbing the tag and uh, trying to get out there the last few days of the season here. And I'll be filming him. Oh, okay. All right, so, uh, guys, the, the numbers are, and I didn't look at where we were on this exact date a year ago, but as of Thursday at noon, that's when I checked the numbers, and we're recording on Thursday afternoon, uh, Missouri spring turkey uh, harvest is at 28,593. Now, last year, the total harvest was 36,249. And if I looked over the county south of I-44, it looks like almost every county is down south of Interstate 44. Now, you get north of 44 and north of 70. The numbers are pretty much where they should be. So I think, Alex and Wayne, this seems to be a problem as far as 
uh, you know, having trouble harvesting a bird that exists in the southern part of the state. And we had talked with other folks about that, and, and that seemed to be the general consensus going into the season. Yeah, I'm going to agree. Uh, I think our turkey numbers are down in southern Missouri. I really do. I don't know what percentage or numbers, but they're down. We're not hearing as many turkeys. And, and plus, the turkeys that we do hear, and if you're not underneath them on the roost, you're not going to get to work on And if you try to drag them a long way, and percentage-wise, uh, statistically speaking, it's harder to call it a longer distance early in the morning when they got hens with it. So uh, I missed one last week, Uh-oh. last Sunday. I uh, should have been in church, but my golf cart tore up, so I had to go back and get it. But anyway, I missed one and worked it for two hours, and he come circled all the way around me, come in behind me, and brought him back out in front of me. I had him at 15 yards, could have shot him, but I'm trying to get the best footage. And when he steps out into the, he's in the opening, food plot strutting, and all of a sudden, I ain't moved or nothing. He smells a rat, and he takes off running. So when he takes off running, I'll pull a shot at him in the air, and I shot behind him. It's it's pretty comical. <laughs> I was assuming there's footage of all that. Oh yeah, it's it's all on film. And I said <laughs> I should have went to church, and I probably wouldn't have missed. <laughs> well, that's one of but those one of those things. It, it is the turkeys has been so frustrating. It puts you on edge, and it's so much pressure. And there's not a lot of turkeys being killed. Uh, in Shannon County, as you can see the numbers, we're over 8,000 behind right now. Yeah, statewide, yeah. are being killed. The majority of them are in northern part of the Shannon County. Dent County, they're murdering turkeys in Dent County. Yeah, and, and and like I said, numbers are just down. And you made a statement earlier, Alex, that uh, uh, I don't know if it was just a slip, but too many hens. Is that part of the problem? Do we have too big a hen population? I think I think in the area that I'm hunting right here around my house and— uh, this area, yeah, I think we've got more hen, the hen ratio to gobbler ratio is unbelievable. I'm gonna say there's probably six or seven hens to every gobbler wing. That sounds like we got to get out and do some fall fall hen hunting. Well, no, <laughs> I, mean, I wanted to breed those hens so we can have more babies, yeah. so we can have more gobblers. But my my one of my wild hens, tame hens that I got in the pen, was hatched a baby out for us two days ago, guys. Oh. So, some of these turkeys are already hatching babies. Hmm. Now, we talk about turkeys being henned up, and I know there's a lot of complaining, Alex, on social media. And I know we got uh-huh. just uh, just about a minute to go here. There's a lot of complaining on social media that the season came in too late, or other in other areas, they say the season was too early. What are your thoughts on about the timing of the season? Wayne, I was hearing turkeys gobble in early March. Yeah. Early March. Yeah. And... I've seen his by themselves a month ago. Now, you go to another area, and you've got gobblers still with his. Explain that. They never, the hens never leave them. Maybe those hens don't nest. Hmm. Maybe they're late nesters. I don't know, but I think the turkey started early, but the way they're acting, they're henned up right now. They're at peak breeding. The majority of the turkeys is, I'm not hearing turkeys gobble much after Seven thirty, eight o'clock, everywhere I've been. Yeah, which is unusual because I know in years past, I mean, last season it seemed like, Alex, I think back, uh, they were talking late in the morning was the best time to get on a gobbler. Well, it usually is, but not in my situation, wherever we're hunting. Hmm. Uh, one of the places I went, we heard 11 gobblers one morning, then 10 the next morning, and there was five shots across the holler. Uh, then we heard 10, 
that next morning. Right. But here at my house, these turkeys at the house, they're not even gobbling. Wow. And I've seen them with hens. They're not even gobbling. Wow. So it, to answer your question, I think there's a lot of factors, I think, you know. And usually by this time, I've already called in 10, 11 gobblers for people that's been killed, and it's really been tough. Uh, I'm going to give a shout-out to some of my friends in, in the MS area that's listening. I'm not naming any names, but I've been taking an 82-year-old man. Oh, wow. And a pastor. At 82 years old, he gets up every morning and goes turkey hunting, Mike. Every morning. Well, he's got more power than I do right now. I, I, <laughs> I hope that I'm 82 years old that I can still turkey hunt. It's time for a break, everybody. We're going to do a break. Don't go away. We'll be back with more American Roots Outdoors. After this. Hi, everybody. This is Aaron Tippin, and you're listening to my old buddy Alex Rutledge with American Roots Outdoors and Good Friends. Across the creek of a big old hill. Right here, right now, this is Jensen Walters listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge, the Ozark Herd Bull. American Roots Outdoors, everybody. Alex Rutledge here in my home studio with Mr. Wayne Locke. In the studio is Redbone Mike Price, our director of operations, and as promised, our special guest, First Lady of Bow Hunting, Miss Brenda Valentine. Welcome to the show, Brenda. Hey, how are you, Alex and Wayne? Good to be with you. We're good to be here. Good to be alive through all this COVID-19 crap. <laughs> <laughs> My sentiments, exactly. <laughs> I'm glad I moved to the country now. This is perfect time. <laughs> yeah. He got away from all the, the riffraff. But, uh, Actually, you know, it's a wonderful time to be an outdoors person, to be a hunter and a fisherman and uh, have a little self-sufficiency about you. Oh, yeah, people's learning some things, I think, during this uh, pandemic, they want to call it or whatever. But uh, a lot of money's being spent in the outdoors. And here in Missouri, they're saying that the numbers are really up with the local residents and uh, buying tax. So. Revenue is good for the Missouri Department of Conservation right now. Well, people don't want to be so reliant on others, you know, uh, with the, the situations with, you know, meat processors and such. It, it gives you a satisfaction to be able to put your own, uh, right now, turkey meat or fish in the freezer, and, and you feel like you're a, a little bit more self-sufficient. Yeah, you're right, and uh, so the way you was raised, the way I was raised on a farm, and what's what we want to talk about, Wayne, and I'm going to let Wayne kick it off here. Well, the first question we want to ask you is, Wayne, go at it. Well, let's touch base about your roots. Where were you born, and, and uh, where were you raised, and we'll start there. Well, Wayne, it's very simple. I was born in the same county that I live in right now. I've traveled all over the world, and I've never found any place I like any better than northwest Tennessee. I live down here right off of Kentucky Lake, and uh, where the hunting and the fishing is very good, just like it is there in Missouri. So very rural upbringing, lived on a farm. I still live on a farm. I'm out here wading around at the barn every day, uh, looking out in the field behind the house, and I see deer and turkey almost every day and squirrels in the yard, and I keep a pack of hunting dogs. And so I guess you could say I haven't gone very far from my raising. 
<laughs> that's, that's funny. For someone who's traveled the world and you haven't gone far, I like that. But I've driven through your area where you live, and I tell you what, I can understand why you don't want to leave. It is gorgeous. Uh, it's like the uh, Ozarks down here for us. It's its own little special paradise. And, uh, man, I tell you, there's a lot of country songs written about the areas that you live in and that we live in here in the Ozarks. That's true. It's garden spots of the world, I believe. Yep. And I feel bad for the people that uh, fly over and never get a chance to drive through. Yeah. I feel yeah. bad for those people packed in those big cities uh, now and, you know, can't get out and, and get any fresh air and just roam around the woods and be uh, distanced from everyone else while you're out there enjoying nature. I feel mm-hmm. bad for those folks. Great point. Great point, Brenda. Uh, next question. So you were yep. born in northwest Tennessee, close to mm-hmm. LBL, and... Mm-hmm. Was you born in a farmhouse, a hospital? Talk about your parents and your upraising as a as a country girl. Oh my goodness! I, we, the show is not that long. I'm telling you, <laughs> we uh, <laughs> we were just poor dirt farmers. We lived way down at the back end of nowhere. It was a dead end road. Uh, when school was out in the spring, I didn't see people hardly ever besides my own family until school started back in the fall. We milked cows, we raised tobacco and cotton, and we raised everything we had. We, we kept a killing hog and chickens, and it was just, uh, uh, I was the oldest child of four, and so therefore I guess I was called on to do more of the, the boy stuff. Uh, my dad was a big hunter, he uh, trained coon dogs and sold them. That was a little sideline cash crop. And mm-hmm. so from the time before I was walking, he was dragging me around at night in the uh, woods training coon dogs. So that uh, that started it off. And, you know, as you got a little older, you started off shooting a little twenty two rifle. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was at that point... A good marksman and good woodsman, a person with good woodsmanship skills, was highly regarded. And my dad was regarded as one of the best shots, best hunters, best at training a dog in the country. And still yeah, is by some of the old people that remembered him. And my so mother he, did the same. Yeah, he, he was a legacy behind for you and your family. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he was known far and wide as having... You know, the best hound dogs and would uh, only shoot the eye of the squirrel. You know, he didn't want to mess up any meat, Um, Mm -hmm. just 22s. It was just the old way. And when we fished, it didn't matter if it was a a sucker, a bass, Mm -hmm. (laughs) or or anything. It went in in the, the bag. I mean, we didn't release anything. And... It was all fish. There was no good fish or bad fish. It was just fish. And so we uh, we ate it all and didn't know the difference. You know, Brenda, I was raised the very same way. I was born in a farmhouse, and I've got nine brothers and sisters, and I'm the youngest of ten, and I can relate to how you was raised. And I think it's one of the things that people's been attracted to about you is that you're real. You know, you're the real deal. You're a real country, and you when you talk about deer hunting or archery or, or fishing or muzzleloading or rifle hunting, you know what you're talking about. And it well, seems like, and I'm, I don't want to get off on a different subject, but it seems like in the industry there's a lot more women hunters getting involved now, and, and you're, you, 
you got to look up to Brenda Wayne for being a role model to a lot of these women because they've looked up to her and she's inspired other women to become others. Oh, no doubt. And, and we're going to actually talk about that in the next segment because I know we got to wrap this segment up. Outdoors right here, right now. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more of Miss Brenda Valentine. Hey, everybody. This is Michael Water with Bone Collector, and you're listening to my buddy Alex Rutledge on American Roots Outdoors, man. Don't miss an episode. In my old pair of hunting boots, passed on down planted Hornady presents American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge out the Red Bone Mike Race. Uh, Alex is here, uh, Wayne's here, and the first lady of the outdoor, Miss Brenda Valentine. We left off talking about Brenda when she was a kid and, and talking about growing up hunting and fishing and farming. And Brenda, one thing I want to say here is uh, you were talking about your dad dragging you around in the woods coon hunting and, and, and training dogs. That reminded me of my mom and my mom's most fond memories of her dad who died when she was just 14 years old her fondest memories were going and running the foxhounds with her dad and she i mean to this day and my mom's almost 80 now she still talks about going out and sitting on a hill with a campfire and listening to the foxhounds uh run uh, the fox and her eyes still this day just light up when she talks about it those are her best memories of her dad so i'm thinking maybe uh, uh the coon hunting uh, is that kind of your fondest memories of your dad? Well, it, chills were just running up my arm when you were telling that because one of my earliest memories is uh, being wrapped in an old hunting coat. And I, I can, when you're talking about that, I can just smell this old coat. It was one of those that had the wax out of the coat. Oh, yeah, it yeah. Was, uh, like a wool blanket on the inside. But it had this smell, and it was like a wet dog, uh, dried <laughs> blood, uh, campfire smoke, uh, old spice. You know, it, it had this, <laughs> this whole uh, mixture of smells. And, you know, I was too little to keep up with the dogs, and we'd build a fire and turn the dogs loose and wait for them to tree. And I would wrap up in this old coat, and when the dogs treed, my dad would go and you know, uh, shoot the coon or, or, you know, work with the dogs, and I would stay by the fire wrapped up in this old coat, and a lot of times it was nearly daylight when he'd come back in. And the fire would be out and the dew would be down. Everything would be wet and (laughs) soggy, and and we'd trudge back up out of the bottom and go home. My mother would be getting up cooking breakfast, and it would be, you know, just almost daylight. And there I'd, you know, slept down in a flew somewhere wrapped up in this old hunting coat most of the night and it just when you was telling about that you know it's just those i couldn't have been three or four years old so you know it's just a a faint memory but the smell of that old itchy coat with that uh wax tarp on the outside (laughs) is what i can remember the most yeah what great memories though huh Yes, it is, you know, and you feel bad because you're so, you have such big memories, and some people don't have that. You know, you feel like you just had all the good stuff, (laughs) and uh, it's like some kids, you know, their memories is, uh, you know, watching video games or something like that, and it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, man, you need some of the real memories, not not the fake memories. Or, or even parents that just don't even spend time with their kids because they're so involved in other things that, you know, with both parents working now and, you know, kids go out, they don't come home to a home-cooked meal anymore most of the time. And that's what I feel bad about. I mean, 
I grew I up agree. with home cooked meals every day. And uh, now my parents, neither one of them hunted, but my grandmother's actually the one that got me into hunting. And uh, my fondest memories. I hear yep. that so much. <laughs> yep, I tell you, my my dad, he was a city boy from Cleveland, and so he didn't, you know, he didn't even allow me to have a gun in the house. I had to keep it at my neighbor's house when I started oh, hunting. Mate. And, oh, And uh, but uh, you know, he didn't, uh, he didn't stop me. So I'll, I'll give him credit for that. But it was my grandma. I went out there every summer, and boy, I was six years old, and the first time she had me shoot a gun, and I was hooked ever since. She taught me everything about the woods. I well, don't question. you believe? I have. Let me let me just make a statement here. I believe that it's uh, it's a, in our genetics to uh, be hunters. You know, I, I think just like you, you'd never been exposed to it, and then one time, and you were hooked. And you know, you'll get people that go several times, and it never affects them. And then you'll get uh, someone that's never been around hunting or guns or the outdoors, and they they have an itch. They know they're missing something, and just man, the the first time they experience it, they're uh, they're hooked for life. So the best way that I can explain this is that you know some of us have the hunting gene and some don't. You know you see this in in dogs and cats and all these things, and I just believe that it it carries over into people also. Yeah, I think well, some people are hunters. Yeah, we had eight children. And uh, mm-hmm. of our eight children, only half of them hunt now, but the other half always did enjoy going in the outdoors, but they just didn't take up the hunting. My daughter, she, she was so excited to get her hunting license, and that first time she had that squirrel down the barrel of her gun, she stopped, and she's like, I can't do it. I didn't get mad. I mean, I shot it. Oh, no. It's... <laughs> I'm only going to let it go to waste, but uh, I didn't get mad. But, you know, she finished oh, no. squirrels and archery uh, in the World no. Championship. So, I mean, she took up another aspect of it, and... We're adopting two babies right now, and I take them out all, every single day. We're out in those Bless woods. Bless your heart. Bless your yeah. heart. Yeah, it's handed down from our roots, you know, our, our ancestors, and it's well, kind of like Christianity a, or, or fishing or anything, you know, uh, or being a mechanic. I genetic. Some of us have the gene to be providers, to be hunters, to feed the tribe. And maybe some of them have the gene to be the doctor or the teacher or <laughs> or the ha- house builder or or the radio announcer or the nurse or whatever. But I believe that that some people are hardwired to provide for the the rest of everybody. Yeah, some people uh, are hunters. Some people are gatherers. Uh, I would agree with you. I want to ask you a question. We got about uh, three and a half okay. minutes left here in this segment. Uh, you went to school, you was raised on a farm, uh, we know all of that. Did you play sports in high school? <laughs> well, the little tiny county school where I went to school only had one sport, and that was uh, basketball, and it was half court for girls back then, and yes, mm-hmm. I did play basketball. I've always been very competitive with anything. But after I got grown, I don't care anything about Sports that have balls in them. Now, I know that. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, but, <laughs> but, you know, golf or tennis or baseball or volleyball or, you know, I, football, you know, I just don't care anything about going and watching other people do this. I'd rather play something that I can participate in. Right. <laughs> something you can kill. Something you can kill. Something. Well, no, I, I love my horses. You know, I have a lot of other interests uh, besides hunting. But um, 
as far as being a spectator sport person, I'm not. But I did enjoy basketball in in high school. Yeah, yeah. So you went to high school, you played some basketball. Uh, do you remember your first turkey, your first deer? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a hard one, Alex. That's been a long time ago, and there's been, you know, so many since then. I'm yeah, I can remember the first deer I saw. I was a, you know, just a kid. We didn't have deer and turkey when I grew up. There, there was That was big game, and we didn't uh-huh. have that. It was all small game. But yeah. I was working in tobacco. We raised tobacco, and I was, and it, there, there's a, a term called suckering, where you pull the suckers off, you know, and you go to the end of the row. And I was on my row, and I was suckering. I got to the end of the row, and there was a honeysuckle thicket there, and something jumped up and bound away and of course i'm all you know curious and everything and my mother and siblings and anybody else that was helping us was on back behind me and i got to looking and i found these tracks that uh look like a goat or a a young calf or something Uh and i just and but i'd seen the the tail flag up and i told them i said there was a deer running around there and run out of this thicket and they all thought I'd got too hot in the sun or something. I said, <laughs> There's no such thing as a deer in Henry County, you know. And so we went to look in and I showed them those tracks and long story short, people came from all yep. over the, just to see the track. You know, we didn't see the, the deer at all, but we saw that track in that loose dirt there at the end of the road. And all of them, you know, people just, the word traveled, and I'm telling you, we lived in a really remote place, but people would drive all the way down that old dusty two-track road to come and see those deer tracks because none of them had ever seen a deer except in a book. So, you know, I remember, my, I remember my brothers and my older brothers and my dad and them talking about the first deer tracks people would come around to. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a break here, everybody. If you're just joining us, we have Miss Brenda Valentine, the first lady of the outdoors, first lady of bow hunting. This woman is an absolute legend in the outdoors. We're going to go take a break. Don't go away. We'll be back with more American Reach Outdoors right after this. Hey, this is Eddie Salter, and you listen to American Roots and Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. Never gotta worry what the wind might do. American Roots. What did he present? Hello, everybody. This is Brenda Valentine, First Lady of, of Hunting, and I'm here with my good friend Alex Rutledge on American Roots Outdoors. And we are glad to have you on here, aren't we, Wayne? Man, you ain't kidding. I, I was listening to the story you were just telling about this footprint and, and people coming from all over. And, you know, of course, me growing up in the time that I grew up, there's deer everywhere. I mean, I, I lived in a suburb when I was a kid growing up, and there were deer walking down the street. There were so many deer. Wow. And so, I, I mean, for, for the story you're telling, to me, the only way I can relate that is somebody seeing a big footprint. You know, and people driving all over see a big footprint, you know. But, um, yeah, deer and turkey have come a long way over the years. Well, look at it this way. We still consider them some of the most special creatures on Earth because they were so rare when we grew up. You know, we were grown before they became commonplace. And so uh, every time we see one, I still... 
elbow whoever's sitting next to me in the truck. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. like, oh, there's a deer. <laughs> you know, I haven't seen but 40,000, but there's yeah, another yeah. one. There's <laughs> another one. <laughs> yeah, I'm up for all those years I didn't see them. Yeah, Brenda, yeah. do you think that's part yeah. of what attributes to the fact that, uh, you know, the, and I use this term loosely, but the older hunters appreciate the animals more maybe than the younger hunters do? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I, I don't know. I haven't really give that a lot of thought. I think the older hunters appreciate the entire hunting experience more. I think we have uh, matured enough that we relish the time out there. We relish mm-hmm. all of the uh, little aspects of nature. You know, we appreciate the little stuff, you know, and, and we're cool if we get an animal or if we don't. It doesn't matter. It's still time well spent. So um, maybe from that aspect of it, true. And we've talked about that before, Alex, that, uh, you know, sometimes the, uh, some of the younger hunters, you know, it's all about getting a big buck or, or getting a, you know, a 28-pound turkey. Uh, and it's not so much about the experience, and we encourage people to relish in the experience because that really is what's going to be the memory It's what happened on that trip not so much how big the deer was or the turkey was that you killed well i think you know you, you hit the nail on the head and i think what we're hearing here uh from hearing miss brenda uh, the first lady of hunting uh share her stories is that you can see her roots are really deep mm-hmm. and what i mean deep deep in the outdoors and and she really lived that life and she understands and it was handed down to her from her father, her ancestors, to, to love the outdoors and cherish the outdoors. And it seems like the world today, the hunting industry today, has been put too much emphasis on who can kill the biggest animal and you know, who's got better stuff or whatever. But somebody like Miss Brenda, you can see why she's a, a outdoors legend and mentor because of what she shares. Do you agree, Wayne? I agree, and that's actually what I wanted to touch base on next was your mentoring, because you have inspired so many women to take that step into the outdoors who normally would never have even thought of doing it because it was a man's sport forever. I mean, unless you grew up on a farm or in a rural area, no woman in the suburbs or in the cities would ever think about going hunting because that just wasn't what women do. Boy, has that changed. I mean, the industry has changed. The the women are the fastest growing part of the industry right, right now, now. Mm-hmm. and it's it's amazing to see what you have done. And when I went to the NWTF and I met you there and walking around, that's you know your name was like on the mm-hmm. tip of everybody's tongue as soon as you started talking about other women hunters. Mm-hmm. You know, they just naturally just rolled off with your name in that. And what got you to where you wanted to take your knowledge and and share it with so many people in the in the aspect that you do now. Wayne, you ask those uh, questions. It takes me too long to answer. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> for one, I never aspired to be, uh, you know, lead a movement. It, it just never occurred to me because growing up, it never dawned on me that other women didn't hunt. You know, my, my mother would go out and, you know, shoot whatever if she needed to or if we were going to have, you know, fried squirrel for breakfast or whatever, you know, it, it was just no different. And I've always told people, you know, that I've never had a, a buck, a bull, a gobbler, or anything that that cared a lick if I was a man or a woman. You know, my, they were just as dead from my bullet or my arrow as they would be from Alex's. So 
I didn't realize that everybody else, all other women, didn't hunt. And then when I started getting into more uh, of the public, I realized that. And I thought, these women don't understand their own capabilities. The only handicap that they had was themselves. So if I could help empower them and open their eyes to their own abilities that they've had the whole time, then so be it. So, you know, I don't know that I've taught them a lot. Maybe I've been an example to show them what they were capable of doing. They just had to decide to do it. Oh, that's so true because I, when I do uh, events with the women in the outdoors and I take mm-hmm. some of these first-time hunters. Wonderful. Uh, it, it's one of those things where they, they sit in that blind, and even if, you know, we don't hear or see anything, one of the things they, they tell me within just a matter of half an hour, I would say, is I can't believe I'm doing this. Because they <laughs> said, I just never thought I would this I would ever be in a blind at my age. You know, I take you know, quite a few of the ladies I took were in their 40s and that, and they mm-hmm. said, I just never thought at my age I would be out here in the woods, you know, instead of the mall. And uh, They're the best. Students, they listen and they they drink in every word. They do exactly what you tell them, and they're sincere. They they want to succeed, and they're non-competitive. They're not out there to see who can kill the biggest buck or take the biggest turkey. They're just wanting to see what they're capable of doing. And oh, yeah. it makes me feel good when I see them uh, have that self-confidence. And, and know their own capabilities and, and have that empowerment with them. Because not only do they realize that they can hunt, but they become begin to realize they can do anything. All they need to do is just step outside of that shell and go for it. You know, they could be in any direction they, they want to be. And that's something I've tried to instill in my kids and my grandkids. You know, Brenda, we've got about two minutes left or a minute and a half in this segment here. We're going to go to the bonus segment. Uh, I know you're a Christian. You love the Lord. And uh, I'm going to give you the last minute and a half here to share and talk about your faith before we go to the bonus segment, if you don't mind. I'm not a preachy person that uh, tries to, to put my beliefs on everybody else because I have I believe that everybody has their own um, their own identity with their with the Maker, you know, with our Creator, with God, and I believe that uh, maybe if I see him in the sunrise coming up in the morning and just sitting out uh, like that, everybody may not get that same association that I get. Some people get it when they go into a big church with. Uh, you know, uh, shiny wood and, and stained glass windows. And some people get it when they look into the face of a, a little child. They realize there is more than just them, that, that there's a higher being. And I get that when I'm alone in the woods. And uh, it's one reason that I really don't care anything about filming hunts anymore. Uh, I, I did that for 25 years, and you know, there's always someone with you there, and it interrupts that time that you have with your maker. So yeah. that's when I feel the closest to God. And I, I've always said uh, yeah. 18 feet up a tree, 
It's the closest <laughs> I've been to heaven. Come on. Come on. There you have it, everybody. Miss Brenda Valentine, the first lady of hunting. If you want to listen to the bonus segment, and I'm going to turn it over to Wayne here, uh, and he's going to tell you how to get on this bonus segment, and we're going to talk about Miss Brenda Valentine's successful turkey tactics. She killed a gobbler this morning there in Tennessee, a big old gobbler. Wayne, talk about the bonus segment. Yeah, to listen to the bonus segment, all you got to do is get onto your favorite podcast carrier, whether it be Apple, Stitcher, uh, iTunes, Man, Pandora. There are so many. We're basically, Alex and everybody, we are on every podcast carrier out there right now. Um, I, I'm proud of the fact that we've been able to do it. Uh, they've taken us on pretty quick, and that's great. But uh, to catch the bonus segment, just sign up. Make sure you leave us a review. We appreciate the, the feedback on it. It does help with our rankings. And to uh, listen more of uh, Brenda, uh, you're going to just tune in that podcast coming up next. You've been listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge, Mike Grace. This is Wayne Locke and Brenda Valentine. Remember, everybody, our slogan here at American Roots is this. When your roots run deep and strong, there is no reason to fear the wind. So you never got to worry what the wind might do. American Roots. Thank you for joining us for today's American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge. You can find us on Facebook. Look us up on the World Wide Web at AmericanRootsOutdoors.com. We'll be back again next week on this great radio station. Hornady presents. Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors bonus edition. If you're listening to this, that means you are on our podcast and you have signed up. And you know, hopefully you're leaving us a great review. With us, we have Brenda Valentine. We're going to finish talking about some turkey hunting here. And Brenda, you shared with us before we got on the uh, the radio here that uh, you just got back from the woods. And it sounds like you had a pretty good day today. I did, yeah. It's uh, the... Season has been going on for a month here in Tennessee, and you know usually by then the birds are worn out. But I took a, a pretty nice gobbler this morning. He had one beard that was eleven inches and one that was seven and a half, and he weighed in at twenty-seven and a half pounds. and you know just a, a heck of a nice bird, and so. Yeah, that that was my third one for the season here, and so I'm smiling today. I, I'm packing away a lot of good turkey meat to to do me through the year. I bet. Awesome. Let me ask you this: Was there any hens with this gobbler when you killed him? Absolutely. <clears throat> and it's How many hens do you have? Stranger, there were seven, and there was a um, a super Jake and this gobbler and a bearded hen, and they left all the hens and uh, went for the bearded hen and i have pictures of that i took i snapped pictures because both uh-huh. of them were fanning out for this one hen and they singled her out yeah. last year i had three mature gobblers and a field full of hens and one of them had a beard and they cut her out of the herd and brought her and all three of them pranced around for her the whole time so it, it's got me to wondering, what's up with these bearded hens that these gobblers are just loving? i tell you what it is. You know what it is? He's making her go up front so she gets shot as the decoy before they get shot. Oh, no. <laughs> they, they were fanning around, showing off everything they could do for her. They, they are loving these hens. 
And something else, I I posted this on Facebook, and I've been having several responses, and I don't know if there's any biological proof of it or not. But a lot of people believe that bearded hens, sometimes their eggs or their poults, that they produce multiple bearded gobblers. And I don't know... Anything, if that is uh, a fact or not, I wish we had a biologist that knew it, or I don't even know if anybody has ever even studied it or not. But in the last uh, four years, I guess, I, I have taken so many multiple bearded gobblers, and I'm seeing at least one bearded hen every time I go out. So well, you, know, you know, Brenda, the old-timers here, uh, always told us and, and told me as a kid growing up, don't shoot those old bearded hens. Oh, and I've never course. shot one. Yeah, I bet I I've seen I know. over a hundred. I've never they, shot one. They're saying that those old bearded hens have a dominant trait about them, and their alertness and awareness is much stronger than a normal hen, and they can help turkeys survive when they're in the, the group of other hens. That's what well, the old-timers would always say here in the Ozarks. I can't swear to that, but I can say that I have seen uh, a lot of bearded hens with healthy-looking uh, flock of poults. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they are good mamas, the ones that I have seen, and that's not taken away from any of the others. But, of course, you can just tell when the, you can identify them. So, um, But anyway, yes, I did kill a, a very nice gobbler this morning. I'm just jealous that you got a double bearded hen and or, or, or a, a gobbler, and, and that you've killed so many because I've I've never even seen a double bearded gobbler. Although all my pictures have double beards in, but of course one of them's mine. But, one of them's yours. Well, I'm pretty slick faced, and so if I'm getting a beard, it has to be on a turkey. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, hey, we got to wrap it up here, uh, Brenda. What was the secret to to your success this morning on killing that big twenty seven half pound gobbler? Probably the biggest success, and this this is something that I can pass on to everybody, it's crawling out of that bed and putting those boots on and going. I have yet, I've hunted, I've turkey hunted ever since there's been a turkey season uh, in Tennessee, and I have yet to shoot one sleeping in and staying in bed. So the mornings that I get up and go, my chances automatically you know, like a hundred percent. If I'll just go, yeah. um, you know, and I always say, my friend Jerry Martin preached this forever. The three P's of turkey hunting is patience, persistence, and position. And this yep. morning, I was patient, and I was in a good position, and it didn't have to be too persistent because it happened fairly early. But uh, those are the the three keys. Um, so, so you didn't have to make a certain call or anything to, to fool the gobbler. He used this in the right spot. I, well, both. I, you know, I didn't talk to him. I talked to the hens. They came okay. out first. They they flew down first, and um, you know, I heard him gobbling on the tree, and I I just barely barely purred to them. I didn't want to turn them. I didn't want to uh-huh. uh, confront Push them. Or anything, so I talked to those hens like I was their best friend, and mm-hmm. I wanted them to come over and be around me. And so, in doing that, 
I knew he was a, he was going to be a sucker for wherever the hens were. And so I didn't talk to him. So the secret was calling soft and easy didn't cause a push situation to make the hens uh, take the gobbler and leave. There you have it, everybody. First lady of hunting, Miss Brenda Ballantyne, a turkey murder, a deer thumping, deer killing, elk killing, predator <laughs> killing, duck, fish catching, giraffe. I think you got a giraffe, too. A giraffe. <laughs> Elephant. She is a killer. I want to thank you for being on the show with us, Miss Brenda. Oh, it's been fun, Alex. Thank you for having me. We love you, and keep up the great work and encouraging more women to get involved. And uh, I have the utmost respect for you, Miss Brenda. I love you. You're a good friend. But, however, I just want to say this in closing. I'll never forget you beat me in the Bass Pro shoots. Never. So, I'm no, not mad get at over you. it by now. That's been a long time ago. Yeah, I don't care. You still beat me. I don't like women beating me and shooting a lot of A lot of good men fell at those things. So. Yeah, they sure did. <laughs> there you have it, everybody. Miss Brenda Valentine. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge bonus edition here on the podcast. And remember, when your roots run deep and strong, there is no reason to fear the wind.